Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. True confessions. What do you call it besides true confessions? Oh, guilty pleasures. My favorite guilty pleasure is Fixer Upper, Hometown, and Fixer to Fabulous. And if you know this, then we have guilty pleasures together. Now, I don't like every program on HGTV, but these are my favorites. I'm sorry, I love Ben and Aaron. We're on a first name basis, me and them on the television. I love seeing the difference in those houses in, um, in, where they live. Where is it that they live? Yeah, I just wanted to see if someone else watched it. I knew that. Yes, thank you, Allison. Friend. Um, but I just love the, the way they prize the old features in the house. Like Aaron will be like, Ben, look at this doorknob. I think I can fix this. Or look at this transom. And, you know, we're going to fix this. I think there's glass under there. Or the way they get excited over an old bathtub. I mean, I have never seen such joy. Doors. And they don't, they don't just discard them. They don't throw them out. You know, Ben takes it back to his shop. I'm going to surprise Aaron, and he strips it, and he cleans it, and then he polishes it, or he repaints it, and they bring such beauty um, to these old houses that were once ugly, infested with vermin, so bad sometimes that Aaron won't even go inside. They're derelict, they're neglected, they're ready to be trashed, but then Aaron and Ben, Aaron gets a vision for it. And she paints it out. And she shows the potential buyer, this is what it could be. And they go, hmm, maybe, but we still don't know. They have a choice. But I, I love how they show you all the work that is done, all the processes, you know, all the tearing out and the tearing down and all that they have to take away, and all the people that are involved in it. You know, this is our Tyler. This is our, our floor guy. There's no one better at doing floors than, 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 you know, Mike. And they, I know all the names. But it's just so um, interesting, and it's just so amazing to watch how intensive their work is. I mean, that's a lot of work. Then there is the reveal day. Oh, now this is my favorite day. And they show you the new kitchen. But, and it's usually got an island, right? The new kitchen. But you know what they do? They flash back to the old kitchen. You know how they did? This, this is the new kitchen. But in case you forgot, there's the old kitchen. You're like, oh, oh, oh. And you know, they, they don't do it enough or long enough. But you're like, I would have forgotten. I mean, looking at it new, you forgot that it looked so bad. And, and you need that comparison. You need to see it. Because already we're so taken up with the new. I mean, I'm even imagining myself cooking in that kitchen. And, and that's the part when the person who gets the house goes, 
I can't believe I get, you know, they're crying. I can't believe I get to live here. This is really mine. Maybe Dave and Jenny Mars, Arkansas, say, yes, this is yours. It's really yours. I can't believe it. I get to live here. Or maybe Ben and Aaron say, it's really yours, y'all. You live here. And, and there's a point in those shows when they'll usually bring an old object and say, do you remember that? And they look like this. Is that my old hutch? Yes. Is that the wardrobe my daddy gave me? Yes. Is that the window? Yes. Is that the old door? No. Yes. Do you recognize these doorknobs? No. They're the originals. What? I mean, it's just... It's just so fun, so amazing. And then Ben will say, well, you know, we just washed it and stripped it, put it through the refinisher, then we refinished it and painted it and whatever else was necessary, like it was no big deal. And like he enjoyed the whole process. But there is something that we're all drawn into in that transformation. There is just, it, no wonder it's such a popular program, right? Because we're all drawn in to see the transformation, to see how something so derelict, so ugly, so um, ready to be thrown out could become something so beautiful, so amazing, so profitable, so worthwhile that it could become a home, a beautiful home. But again, all through the reveal day, they have to flash you back to the old bedroom, the way the house used to look, the way the bathroom was. And they need to do that so that the audience can really, really appreciate all of Ben and Aaron or Dave and Ginny or Joanna and Chip so we can appreciate all that they've done. Reminders are so good, and we all need reminders because we're prone to forget. And at my age, I need more reminders than ever, except for this is my problem. I've done all these reminders on my phone, so it goes off, and I can't remember why it's going off. I have to look and go, oh, this is a reminder to pray for the Ukraine. Oh, this is a reminder. I'm supposed to take Barnabas to the vet. This is a reminder. But we lose sight without reminders of all that has been done for us. I have this feature on my phone, I think you do too, where all of a sudden a picture will pop up. You know, one of the things you go is like, wow, I was so young. And that was only a year ago. But you'll see the pictures of places you've been and things you've done and your grandkids are little. And we need those because we forget that we've even been any place but our kitchen or our own home. And you're like, wait, I, I have traveled. Or, you, you know, I do have friends. You know, I know people in other places. We lose appreciation for what we have if we're not reminded before ending his letter to Titus with an explanation of his personal plans, um, Paul 
told Titus he'd be wintering in Nicopolis, which was 200 miles north of Athens, just in case you were curious and wanted to vacation there, that he wanted Titus to visit, that he was going to send someone, either Artemis or Tychicus, to Crete so Titus could come to him, and that he wanted Titus to send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos, the great theologian, on their way from Crete to get out into the mission field again, that they were needed elsewhere. And Titus was to haste them on with their journey. But before these last remarks, Paul had one more thing to Titus, and he told Titus to remind the people, to remind the people twice in chapter 3. He tells Titus to remind the people. And he wants Titus to remind the people of who they are and who they were and the process of what changed them. What took place, the demolition, the extraordinary stripping and cleansing, all that took place to make them who they are now. And on that basis of that transformation, the people were to be inspired to good works. Because when you know who you are, and when you know what you were, and the work that went into making it so, your whole lifestyle changes. Your whole vocabulary changes. You know, I loved marrying Brian Broderson, just in case you didn't know I did. But one of the things that was amazing is he has a testimony. I, I have a pseudo-testimony. I've always loved Jesus. I've been afraid to live without Jesus. That was my whole life, fear. Like, I don't, are you still there? Sorry I did that, you know. I need you, Jesus. But it didn't give me, because I grew up with it, it didn't give me the astounding ability just to know that everybody needs Jesus. But I married Brian Broderson. He came from darkness, and his whole family and their whole lives were on this trajectory towards destruction and sorrow. His mother has been through more tragedy than any woman I know. I mean, it's just crazy. And they were on this trajectory until Carol, Brian's mom, got saved. And everything began to change. And she said to Brian, Brian, you need to be born again. And he's like, no, Mom, the Catholic Church lets me take communion. You needed to be born again. And she was pressing him, you need to be born again. And from the moment Brian was born again, his whole life upended and changed. The whole trajectory of his life changed. I remember him telling me that he felt like such a loser, that he would never make anything out of his life. And when he gave his life to the Lord, everything changed. I mean, like, everything. Like, the job, the circumstances where he was living, everything upended. He said before that, he went through a year of trying to be good. And as soon as he got good enough, he was going to give his life to the Lord. But he could never get good enough to give his life to the Lord. And finally, in despair, he's like, you just got to take me how I am. Boom. Transformation. So by the time I met Brian, he witnessed to everybody, still does. He just, you know, he'd start saying, do you know, 
two years ago what I was like and what the Lord has done. Like everybody. His one sister, she wouldn't even call us or talk to Brian because she knew he was just going to talk about what the Lord did for him. His other two sisters who were more compliant capitulated and gave their lives to the Lord. They knew there's, there's no other hope. I, we just got to agree with Brian. We still have the holdout. You can pray for her. But the transformation, he knew. And he had hope for everyone. He still does. He, he sees every sinner as potential. Oh, he's ready to draw that watercolor of what they could be once God starts his work in them. So Paul began with who they are. We need reminders of who we are. Recently, I was at a retreat in England, and Margaret and I were praying um, for, for anyone who would come forward to, who wanted prayer. They made an appointment. There were a lot of us. It wasn't like, you can get an appointment with Cheryl and Margaret. No, it was like, you can get an appointment for prayer, and they got Cheryl and Margaret. <laughs> and we were praying for this one girl, and I, I said, you know, Lord, I just pray that she will be everything that she's meant to be that she'll be the true person of who she is. And I'm thinking, what am I praying? I don't know. But I just kept praying. And she wrote me a letter, and she said, you know, I didn't know who the true person was. I didn't know who I was. And I began to ask the Lord, who am I? Because I am who you say I am. And she said she felt the Spirit of God say, what do you like to do? And she says, well, I like to write letters then write letters, because that's who you are. She's like, oh, I'm a letter writer. She got so excited. Lord, what? And she said, the Lord kept saying to her, what do you like to do? What do you like to do? Well, I like to, you know, call my friends. That's part of who you are. You see, we sometimes think that those deep desires, that that can't be the Lord. You know, no, that's the Lord. I love to experiment in my kitchen with food. I don't call myself a chef. I call myself a scientist <laughs> in the kitchen. I, I just love, you know, Amelia Bedelia. I like to throw things together. I don't, I use recipes only when I have to. But I, I, I just love that. I, I told you this story before, but I remember sitting on the deck of this house watching these pelicans. And the Lord spoke to me and said, those pelicans bless me and please me. And I said, why, Lord? How, Lord? And he said, because they are doing exactly what they were created to do. They are being pelicans. Ever since then, I love pelicans. I think I might, you know, like if you could choose a bird. I mean, you definitely wouldn't choose a duck because everyone would think you were quacking up or you wouldn't choose like you know you would choose like a robin or a sparrow or you know and I feel like my bird is the pelican because it can look so awkward at times and that's how I feel kind of awkward when I'm on land you know but put me in the sky put me in my element and I'll soar and my wings are a little too big for my body you know that but when I'm in my place, I can soar. You know, God, we are who we are in Jesus. And, 
And we need to be reminded because the world is always pushing us, yelling at us, and trying to identify us and re-identify us. Yeah, the world tries to categorize people and leave them in a box and tie the bow on it and say, you're not allowed to change. You're not allowed to change. That's why you're not allowed if a person or, or a student feels like they have homosexual urges, you are not allowed to tell them that they might not be a homosexual. No. They're in that box. They've labeled themselves, tie it up. It's done. That's what the world does. It labels people and says, you cannot change. You need to stay here in your place. But God says, undo that bow. Open that box and let my child go free. And I'll tell you who you are. You are my child. You are mine. God changes it. But you know, when you're out in the environment, atmosphere, culture, you'll say, someone will say, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you're judgmental, or you're this, you're that. You're like, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm a loving, caring, gracious woman of Jesus Christ. You know, I told you I was on this plane, and this guy says to me, I said, you know, don't worry, you're safe. I've been inoculated, vaccinated. He goes, you know, why are so many evangelical Christians against vaccinations? I said, I don't know, because I happen to be an evangelical Christian. And I was because I felt like the Lord wanted me to. And he's like, and I said, and I did it because I, I love people and I don't want to stop being around people. I did it because my God loves people so much. It was a personal decision that I prayed over. And this is why I did it because God so loved the world that he, and I just shared the gospel with him like crazy. But you know, he was ready to put me in that box like the unvaccinated, legalistic, mean-spirited, hateful, because that's what the media wants to say we are. But that's not who we are. We are lovers because we are so loved. We are the beloved. We are the beloved because he loves us so much. Or maybe they'll say, I remember I had this cousin, and she said, when were you born? And I was like, April. She's like, oh, then you're an Aries. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't want to tell her my birthday because I knew she was into the signs of the zodiac. And she starts going on about what I am. You know, I know two other people who were born on my birthday, and the three of us couldn't be more opposite. Or you hear, oh, you're from Orange County. Hmm. You're one of those Orange County housewives. I said, obviously, you haven't seen my house or my neighborhood. You know, we were driving down Placentia the other day, and Kristen says, you know, they really need to film Real Housewives of Orange County right here on Placentia. Not only that, but when we hang out in this culture, it's like the frog in the kettle. We begin to take on their mannerisms and their way of doing things without even realizing it until we're reminded of who we are. I had a friend who was Irish, and every time I would talk to her on the phone, I would get a lilt in my voice. Well, it does sound pretty good. Maybe we should. You know, I, that doesn't, I don't know what accent that was. It wasn't Irish. <laughs> but just so you wouldn't try it, I, I mixed it up. But I would start talking with a lilt in my voice, and my kids would like, Mom, 
you're doing it again. I'd be like, ah, would you mind being quiet? I'm trying to hear on the phone. And I would just start talking like that. And it was like when I hung around her, I don't know what. I wasn't putting it on. I wasn't trying. But it would just start. I never picked up an English accent the whole time I was in England. But she would call me, and I'd start with this lilt. And I was totally unaware of it until my kids brought it out. I've known quite a few people who moved from California to the south, to Tennessee, or to Texas. And the next thing you know, what are they all saying? Y'all, y'all, y'all. I also have to say, I love women's retreats or get-togethers, just even this women's Bible study, talking in groups. You know why? Because you find out we're normal. You know when you hang around men, they're like, why are you afraid? That's so weird. That's so weird. Oh, what are you doing? That's so weird. You know what? We're not weird. We're women. And then you hang out with other women. They're like, oh, I did this. You're like, you do that? So is that a woman thing? And they're like, is it? I don't know why I do it. Let's ask some other women. And we find out we all do it. You know, like we, some of you are weird, but the most of us don't like snakes. You know, we find out that this is kind of common. And we're like, oh, I'm normal. I'm normal. You know, like, who likes HGTV? That's Brian, you know? Who, who cares what they do with their kitchen? I'm like, can't believe we're married. One time we're at the Smithsonian um, Museum, and we're with our two kids. We're looking through everything at the museum. And we get out of the museum. My favorite part of the museum, well, anyway, Brian goes, I can't believe that people care about what the first lady wore to the inaugural, you know, ball, or what her china was. I was like, that was my favorite part. I was totally bored with the guns and swords that were used in the different wars. He's like, that was my favorite part. I'm like, I know. You and I, we're different. And you know, you hang around with women, we're like, let's go see the inaugural pole gowns and the china. I love that part. Let me see their teapot. I could care less about the gun they used or what their saber looked like. Ugh. But you know, you hang out with women, you're like, okay, this is my breed. This is what we do. This is what we like. And so Paul wanted them to be reminded because the ungodly culture in Crete was so strong, so prevalent, so pushy. Perhaps you even remember it was full of lying, beastly behavior, self-indulgence, and laziness. And those are easy to fall into. And the believers in Crete needed to be reminded of who they were in Jesus. Verse 1, they were law-abiding, not rebels. They were those who were ready for every good work. Verse 7, they were the heirs and are the heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And verse 15, they were in the faith. They were in the faith club. Who they were, verse 3, at one time they were just like every other sinner and Cretan out there. They were foolish, disobedient, deceived, deceived, 
serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. I love the way Eugene Peterson put it in the message. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, easy marks for sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulders, hating and hated and hating back. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11a, Paul put it this way. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, or thieves, covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God in this part. And such were some of you. That's who we were. Some of you. We forget too easily what we were. Brian said he saw this kid who was really angry and just cussing. And he said he just wanted to go over and spank the kid. And the Lord spoke to him and said, that was you at the same age. What did you need to hear? Then Paul reminded Timothy of the process of transformation. Verses four through seven of Titus 3, it didn't come because it was earned or deserved. It was not because of works of righteousness. It wasn't anything that we had done, but it came when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. God's appearing through Jesus Christ, our God incarnate, changed everything. When Jesus came to earth, and died for our sins, and rose again, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit down, everything changed. Now there was opportunity for transformation. Now transformation is possible. How? By his great mercy, by his salvation, by his washing And he washed us with the washing that regenerates, the washing that makes us new, the soap he uses or the agency that regenerates, turns back time, fully restorative, fully restorative. He made our spirits alive by the Holy Spirit. He he didn't just say, live. He put himself in us by the Holy Spirit. God now lives in us. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, God didn't just fix us up. He moved in. He moved in. He poured or lavished the Holy Spirit on us, not in measure, not in a teaspoon or a tablespoon or a cup or even a gallon, but immeasurably poured out, showered on us. He will take over every room in the house if you will let him. He justified us by his grace. He declared that we are righteous, right with him, qualified, completely, fully qualified to be his child, qualified to go to heaven, qualified to be his own. He made us acceptable, acceptable to him. This is what I want. 
Jesus did all the work, and all he asks is that we agree to partake in what he has done. I love communion. It reminds us, remember it's this reminder that Jesus did it all. And all he says is come and be a partaker in what I did. Partake, be a part, invest in it by ingesting the bread, by drinking the grape juice. Be a partaker, this symbolic partaking of what Jesus did. He did all the work. Sometimes we forget all that God did personally for us through Jesus. And when we forget what he has done for us, we lose sight of his great power. And we think the world's going to hell in a handbasket and nothing can stop it. But when we remember his great power, we're like, woohoo, potential, potential. We forget his great love. But when we remember who we are and what God has done, we think about his great love. And we're ready to go be lovers and to tell people about that great love. We forget his great work, how great that work was that the Lord has done. But when we are reminded of who we were and who we are because of Jesus, it changes it changes our actions even. We need to be reminded because when we are reminded, then we are ready for every good work. Then we are ready to cooperate with authorities. We don't speak evil about anyone because everyone is our mission field. We were once like them. We are peaceable. We don't want to fight or argue. We want to see people saved. We don't want to be counterproductive to the mission. And the mission is to see the lost saved. We get the right perspective, eyes on the kingdom of God, eyes on the kingdom work, and eyes on our king. We don't care about proving ourselves right or showing how righteous we are. We care about making men and women right with God. That's our mission we want to maintain good works. Verse 8, works that are good, works that are profitable, that actually help people to the kingdom. You know, sometimes what we say can be absolutely counterproductive. Have you ever had that? Where you've got this lecture in your mind, and when you say it, you're thinking they're going to fall down and go, thank you. You're my mother. I see it now. I love you. And instead, you give them that lecture, and they're like, what? You're crazy. It's not how I saw it in my mind, how it was going to go. You were going to want to hug me and cuddle with me, not run the other way. I realized so many times that my words can be counterproductive. I want to have words that are productive. I want spiritual words that penetrate to the heart, right? That can't be forgotten. There's this thing called earworms. They're the jingles that you can't get out of your mind. I want to have spiritual earworms. People are like, I want to get rid of that, but they can't. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is real. Jesus is real. I, I want to do that. I want words that are profitable. I want works that are beneficial to everyone. 
Paul tells Timothy that because of who we are, who we were and what the Lord has done, we need to avoid and keep a distance with those who just want to argue, have foolish disputes, because really all disputes are foolish disputes, about genealogies, where we came from, uh, contentions, just arguments, striving about the law, unprofitable and useless, Paul calls them. They're unprofitable. They don't get you where you think they're going to get you. We are to reject divisive people, verse 10. Do not follow them. Do not listen to them. And Titus was to warn the divisive person twice, give him two opportunities to repent. And then if they wouldn't, Titus was to realize this is the divisive person's problem. It's their problem. They're warped. They're sinning because causing division is sin. In fact, in Proverbs 6, it says there are six things that God hates and seven that are an abomination. And one who sows discord among the brethren. That's, you know, it's, it's more than a sin. God hates it. You know those people on YouTube saying mean things about other Christians and pastors? You think God's pleased? No, it's an abomination. God hates it. He absolutely hates it. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be those people. It's their problem. There's something going on. They're self-condemned. The um, A commentary I read said, by persisting in division, they cut themselves off. You know, when you start nitpicking like that, your world gets narrower and narrower. So the only person you can qualify as a Christian is yourself. That's what happens. Because those disqualifiers that you've used, suddenly your wife does it, or your husband does it, or your child does it. And you're, you, com- you continually are cutting yourself off from people instead of bringing people in. People who live with an awareness of who they are, what they were, and what God has done for them, according to verse 14, learn and are ready to learn to maintain good works. Show me how. I'm willing. I want to. And to meet urgent needs. They're ready to help. They're always wanting to be fruitful. As believers, we need to be reminded again and again of who we are in Christ. Who is the new creation? What is she like? Who is this new person? Ask Jesus and he'll tell you. He'll help you with that. It's interesting, I was reading this book on Christian leadership and the man was studying the Jesuits. The Jesuits would take two times a day 10 or 15 minutes to, for self-awareness. In other words, to, to know who they were, to confess their weaknesses and their um, temptations, their propensities, and to think about their strengths or what they like to do, and just to let the Lord wash over that. This is what Paul's saying. 
we need this awareness of who we are in Christ. And that awareness comes by remembering who we were and all that the Lord has done and how he's thoroughly cleaned us. When we remember these things, our appreciation for the Lord grows. Our faith is increased. If he could save me and change me this radically, he can save and change anyone. Our outlook towards the lost changes. We see nothing but potential. We can't wait to get a hold of that old house and let the Lord come in. And our behavior toward the lost changes. We show them the love we have received. We model the changes in our house that they can also have. Our behavior towards each other changes. We love each other in the faith. We are thankful for each other. We're blessed by the transformation. We want to hear each other's testimonies. We don't criticize. We affirm and bless, encourage, and help. We have grace toward everyone. We learn good works. And good works and learning good works become part and parcel of our new nature. We want to. It's not a duty. It's a delight. We want to. We were all once fixer-uppers, beaten up by the world, corroded, neglected, and ready to be demolished until the kindness of God appeared. And now, each one of us, we're showstoppers. Father, thank you so much. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. If we've forgotten to thank you for Jesus, forgive us. Because we are so thankful. I have no idea of what I would be if it wasn't for Jesus. Thank you for your continual forgiveness. Thank you, thank you for your washing and your purging. Thank you for your regeneration, for bringing those old parts to life. Thank you for your immense kindness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for all the work you did and you continue to do in each one of us to make us your own. Father, we pray that we might be your works of art, your fixer-uppers. In Jesus' name, amen.